0: Hello, welcome on today's show. We have Gavin Preston. This guy is from accountant to business to mindset. He's got it all wrapped up in a in a bag and he has his own podcast where he tells people about how to become their awesome self in either money, business, etc. And hello, welcome to the show, Gavin. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you, Aaron, for having me on your show. Gavin, where are you from? So originally from Lancaster in the north in northwest of England, and but spent most of my sort of childhood and early years growing up in Windermere in the Lake District. What
0: was it like growing up at that time in Lancaster?
1: it was great you know I went to I was fortunate enough to go to Lancaster Royal Grammar School fabulous education and so it was amazing to have a school of that caliber that I passed the 11 plus to and was able to go and interestingly now living in North Wales and we look at senior school options for for our children there are none that are free that are not private school that are that are of this the caliber that fortunately I was able to go to and my brother was able to go to so that was a highlight and a, another highlight was the proximity to beautiful outdoor spaces such as the Lake District and the Peak District, um, my parents initially got into walking and you know walking the hills and the mountains, and then into to sailing. So, an outdoor childhood certainly was uh, it was a theme that's continued throughout all my life, and uh, it's something that's very much a, a core part of the life that I'm helping my, my own children experience.
0: It's interesting how you're young, you're outdoors, you time passes by, but today it's all about being in stuck indoors and computers and everything. Everything. it was probably cool
1: at the time to be able to stay and just spend hours outside oh absolutely and actually living where we do now in North Wales one of the great things about being lucky about living here in the lockdown is when we were you know allowed to go out and do some exercise literally five minutes for a walk at the end of the road and we got a hill to walk up that's an amazing sort of view and vista and cycle paths to go on so yeah I, I've always been a person that I've loved to go and work in a city but leave again and love actually living in a place so that's either quite rural or quite coastal because I just love nature and I love being in the outdoors.
0: And when you were growing up it was Lancaster where you were living in Lancaster was it in the countryside or in the middle of the city or?
1: Oh no, no it was it, it was in a, a suburban you know residential area but every weekend we kind of broke out and we went either walking or we went you know in the hills and mountains or we went sailing so that was really my experience and when I was a child my dad initially got I was four my dad initially got into sailing and we had a boat on the sea sailing, a small sailing boat on the sea and then the weather was so unreliable <laughs> as often is that he took it up to like Windermere maybe so he could get more use out of it and he said to as a choice to me and my brother who's two years younger than me and he said for the same cost of taking a family, our family abroad to the Mediterranean for two weeks of a summer holiday, you can have a boat that's kept and maintained on moored on Windermere for 52 weeks of the year. So two weeks versus 52 weeks, which would you prefer? And we chose 52 weeks and um, that became our playground really. And it was amazing all school holidays and even in the winter we used to go up there. So yeah, it was an amazing experience that we thoroughly enjoyed playing around on dinghies and boats as we grew up. What did sailing teach you? What a great question. It taught me, wow, I've never been asked that question. it, it, it taught me several things and, and it grew over time. It taught me leadership. It gave me confidence. So as a 10-year-old, a nine-year-old, I was taking out a 30-foot boat single-handedly and I was bringing it back in and I was mooring it. It gave me something, an experience of something early in my age that I got good at, which gave me a huge amount of confidence. And you know, my NLP background now has taught me to go back to times when you felt really confident and I still use that as a result now, I, just, I know I can more a boat and I had loads of experience as a kid growing up doing that. As I got into my 20s and um, get a bunch of friends together, and we would go sailing say on the west coast of Scotland. It taught me leadership, it also taught me teamwork, it taught me the ability to think under pressure when things weren't going well that gave me the confidence that I could come up with creative solutions we, we we had some some times where yeah it was pretty tricky situations like we had one time off the uh, Isle of Mull where um, we'd unfortunately got our propeller of this uh, charter boat that we had this charter yacht um, snarled in a fishing net so the engine stopped so we pulled the sails up that's fine we're on a sailing boat but then the wind died and then the tide is setting us onto the shore onto the rocks um, so you think okay well, what can I do now? now so you want to call the coast card to let them know your predicament um by the shores of um, the cliffs of mull there was no vhf radio signal early days of mobile phones and there was no mobile phone mass signal and you started to run out of options so oh, and, and it's april so the water's really cold so you've got to think carefully about putting somebody in the water with a knife to cut off the net so yeah it was uh it, we got out of it and we took it in turns and we did have a wetsuit on board and we were able to be really careful about somebody taking it in turns to go into the water to cut the most of it, the fishing net off and then the Propeller had what was known as a a rope cutter around it, which was able to get off the last remnants just before we had a pro- real problem. So, you know, it taught me the ability when well, there's all those pairs of eyes that were looking at me for the answers to just go away down below decks for a few minutes to think through the options and come up with a plan that ultimately did work.
0: It's fascinating how it teaches us to be a leader, but yes, we're out there enjoying the the, the river and the sea and the the weather, and yes the weather can change and it puts us in circumstances situations the same way life
1: does in some way that's what i love about i love about going out uh, into nature and going out whether it's sailing in, on, a, on a lake or on the um, in the sea is that you, you can't control the waves you can't control the winds you can't control the tide or the weather conditions but what you can do is control how you respond to that and that is so true of business you can't control the economy you can't control the competition are doing you can't control things such as you know covid but what you can control is how you respond to that and, and i think it it teaches you to work with the stuff that's happening around you and rather than try to fight against it and that rawness that authenticity of just being out there in nature I just think not only is it it's like a meditation to me it's so calming but also it uh, I think with the right attitude it can, call the, it can call the best from you
0: I totally agree you know we're all from nature and yes we think ah no I need to be inside whenever. but actually we're a component of nature in some way
1: yeah actually just before the lockdown I went away for a uh, birthday weekend and we went further deeper into Wales on the coast and we were walking through this woodland area it was such a peaceful sort of calm environment and it was walking through this almost like fairy tale like wood so we'd been on a, a viewing point overlooking an estuary and looking out to see which was wonderful and coming back off the viewing point walking through this beautiful like wooded area and it just felt so calm it was evident that lockdown was incoming you know it was it was about to happen and obviously the, the, the concerns around covid was was high and i just remember so clearly in that moment thinking in this particular moment now everything is okay all the problems in the world are just not hitting me here right now or in my environment not hitting me right now in this very moment everything is calm and everything is okay and nature has that restorative power really powerfully
0: That's a very interesting feeling to feel okay in the midst of chaos when it's just rolling in like
1: mist. Yeah, and and it was. And I got that through being in nature. And I think a lot of people do that, you know, we're we're very attuned to our environment, whether we're aware of it or not. We often put ourselves in an environment where we're bombarded by social media streams, news feeds, etc. that's creating an environment of apprehensive anxiety rather than putting ourselves in an environment where you can relax. When you're relaxed
0: and controlled, relaxed, and you, all your answers come.
1: Yeah, you get your best of your ideas. Absolutely. So, yes, the outdoors has I found myself always wanting to live in a place with easy access to the outdoors. And it's always been a great source of relaxation and inspiration for me. In growing up, how did your parents influence you? Both of them influenced me around working hard and being persistent. Um, I My dad had his own business. He was a commission-only salesman. He was a massive influence in the world of business and mindset for me he uh, handed me the book called um, think and grow well actually before think and grow rich by napoleon hill the success system that never fails by w Clement stone so it was a sales book and he worked for a a uk arm of a u.s sales company and so the american kind of sales books and motivational personal development books were coming over slowly but surely into the uk and so he handed this book to me and the success system that never fails and in it was a quote from napoleon hill the famous quote what the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve and i was 15 and i was doing my gcse's and i was a bit apprehensive and wanted to do well at my gcse's and get myself a little bit wound up about it and my dad said to me I remember it really vividly came in sat on the end of my bed and uh, one evening and he handed me this book and he said read this book it really helped me and he turned to the page with the quote well the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve he said Gavin what I want you to do is think about 9A's getting your 9As at GCSE and 50 times a day say to yourself what the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve and think about getting 9As at GCSE and I went okay dad I didn't know any difference so 50 times a day I did just that and I got my 9As at GCSE and it blew my mind and it set me off on the track you know I next read was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and on the list went and I just developed this fascination around personal development and mindset that got me into Tony Robbins and then into NLP and then working with Co founder of nlp richard bandler and paul mckenna and the business uk business partner michael breen so i added this skill set on top of traditional accountancy training with kpmg to be able to think i actually want to help businesses but there's another influence which has had a, a big driver for me and a big purpose for me is my dad's business was he was a commission only salesman whatever he only earned when he sold and we only had you know consistency of it well we didn't have consistency or stability of income it's whether he had a good week or not depending on you know what was put on a dinner table at the end of that week so i grew up in an environment where there was not stability around cash and around cash flow he then set up his own business and Did a massive jump from operating a business out of two sort of spare rooms in a house to buying a big business center with sort of uh, some storage space as well and a car park. And he ran three or four different businesses. He worked 12 hours, 14, 18 hours a day for six or seven days a week. He worked really hard. And in my 20s, I would used to do his cash flow forecasts and wonder how on earth he was going to survive the week. And then I went on with KPMG to work in a department that looked at insolvency, that dealt with businesses that had often be family businesses that were profitable, but they'd run out of cash. And it hit me hard to see that there was all these wonderful people, family, parents, who were giving their life and their soul and sacrificing time with their children in order to do their very best in the business and the businesses went bust. And so one of the things that I just became aware of and it kept creeping in was without necessarily being consciously aware of, was my willingness and ability to help people stabilize the cash of their business so that then they could build profit and build sustainable business that could grow. So the combination of kind of the the dull stuff i got fascinated about the mindset stuff to give the energy the spark the creativity and the drive to power people through making sure that they've got the basics you know the brushing of the teeth basics in their business right first and it's people get carried away by the exciting sexy stuff but they don't often do the dull stuff which actually is critical to whether you've got a profitable business with enough cash that's going to sustain and grow
0: not doing the non-sexy stuff makes the sexy stuff look sexy in some way
1: Yeah, and that's a really good piece of advice. And I think so many people don't do the non-sexy stuff and they live or, or they try to live in all the exciting marketing or new product ideas or pitching or doing a big deal. And they're rushing hard and feeling often if they look at the revenue side of their business that they're doing really well. Sales are going up, but the thing that drains the life force out of them is that they're always fighting for cash. They're always fighting for profitability and by the end of the month you know i haven't got enough money to pay for themselves so it was really interesting because I, I i myself with the mindset piece was so infused and loved it and loved the buzz i got from helping people get their breakthroughs and get excited about growing the business and I get excited about the new marketing strategies etc so we could ramp up growth from the top line really quickly on the revenue really quickly And at times, you know, part of my lesson is as well, that sometimes I hadn't spent enough time with business owners on the non-sexy stuff. And now I know that my peril, do I ignore that? That has to be squared away. Otherwise you could be working really hard, think you're doing well, sales look great, but you're not making any money. What fascinates you about mindset? So we're born with this incredibly creative mind and we don't necessarily know how to run that onboard computer, but how we think the questions we ask ourselves, the things that we say to ourselves has a fundamental causal impact on our experience of life. So we can choose to, whether we're consciously aware of it or not, to beat ourselves up, to, to chastise ourselves for doing something wrong, to say to ourselves, oh, you're no good at that. You'll never be good at that or we could say you know how is it that i'm getting you know i'm getting better and better at that skill and why do i always find myself in the right place at the right time to meet the right people to do the right deal or how is it that i always get so much done in so little time you know how we think the questions that we ask ourselves pictures that we create and the movies that we run in our life has a massive impact a lot of people run movies about their future and they're thinking about what if that goes wrong that if that goes wrong you know they worry about the future instead of thinking Let's run a different movie, let's run, not the horror movie, let's run the success story, the story of you being the victor of your own Hollywood movie, you know, the the main character. And we can do that. We we can control the editing suite in our own head or direct the film in our own minds. And I think if we can get the discipline to be able to regularly visualise the results that we want, talk to ourselves, to encourage ourselves, remind ourselves what we truly are capable of, Then we answer the most fundamental question in the right way. And that fundamental question that most people ask in their lives at some stage, or many times, could be, or is, am I good enough? And and often people will come up with the answer, which is no. But if we feed ourselves with all the evidence of things that you have done well, the acknowledgement of your skills that you've amassed to date, and the capability, the drive, the vision that you have for the future, and the skills and contacts then your answer is a different one. It it absolutely congruently is, yes, you are good enough. When your father handed you that book and turned to that quote,
0: did you feel like you were not good enough at the time before he showed you the method that you got your
1: 90s? I was struggling. So yes, in, in simple answer to your question is yes. I built the pressure and maybe some parental influence about wanting me to do good, but I built the pressure upon myself that I must do really well. But I was finding some of the studying hard going, so I was having a tough time with it. And I also remember that, rightly or wrongly, at the same time, I was learning to play the piano and I had a big piano sort of practical exam coming up and my piano teacher was uh, the music teacher or head of music for another secondary school and my mum and dad and my piano teacher in their best wisdom and best intent and unbeknownst to me decided they weren't going to tell me I had this impending grade four exam coming up because I was already under pressure around my GCSEs so I remember going to a piano lesson one day and I was doing in the school hall of this other school where this uh, teacher was the head of music there and I was doing my scales to warm up I kinda of stumbled over a couple of scales and he said, You better improve your playing because you've got your grade four practical exam in half an hour and I knew nothing of it and I, I was such I to this day think it's such a cruel thing to have been done and I pretty much stood up I couldn't cope with that. I stood up, walked out and not really played the piano since and in answer to your question it's a really really insightful question Aaron that in that moment then I I guess I had a bit of a wobble and I was really upset and that was a straw that almost brought the camels back so at this time this book that could show a system or allegedly show a system that would change the way you think and give a focus of a positive focus was just what I needed because you know I just well I'm not good enough clearly to have successfully completed my grade four practical exam on piano while studying for my GCSE so it was a big turning point in my life it's
0: interesting how something so simple like that can have a huge outstanding change in, in people's lives including your own
1: oh for sure and you know I, I look back at that now and recognize that that you know it's, it's interesting now you're know, living that with you it's that book had and then the following book in particular think and grow rich had such a massive impact on my life and it probably all the more so because i was in the quandary. i was in a need of a, a solution to how i was feeling about my own skills and capability.
0: You probably came to a point where you felt confident in your skills and capability as well.
1: Exactly, but uh, yes, I did. And it was because of the mindset stuff that I was learning from books like Think and Grow Rich. So it became a solace, it became a retreat or escapism if you like, but it became a way of me actually building my confidence and if not certainty, a level of belief and hope in my capabilities that was then validated by the results that I got with my nine A's. And is that what created the passion to go study Tony Robbins, NLP, and so on? Well, something really interesting happened. So that was GCSEs. A-levels, I kind of like discovered girls, as you do. And... um, i stopped doing all the mindset stuff i just stopped reading the books, stopped listening to the programs and then so i didn't do great at a level i went to university and i did i did well in the first year but then over university because i hadn't done great at a level i recognized that well what helped me at gcse was the mindset stuff so i started to study it more and i was fascinated about business and entrepreneurialism and the link between personal development and business success so i did a dissertation um i did an accountancy and finance degree but i did a dissertation looking at the common traits of successful entrepreneurs and in my research for that i discovered awaken the giant within by tony robbins on a bookshelf in the castle and then unlimited power and those books really stood out to me as being different from the norm they introduced me to nlp i wrote to tony's team and said he was coming to the uk for the first time in 1992 and i said i'm a student can i have a discounted or free entry because i'm i'm doing a dissertation on on this area and they wrote back and they said thank you very much for volunteering to being on the staff so i went on the staff i was on the fire team at the nec in birmingham for tony robbins's first uk upw and of power within so that was a major experience for me also and uh, firmly got me back into that space of the importance of mindset and it, how it was having an integral impact or or, or a, a fundamental impact on my performance
0: how did it feel to be part of Tony Robbins' team?
1: Oh, I was just... It, it was both amazing and um, incredible and unbelievable, that kind of, in, in terms of that you know, word, credible, incredible. It's just, it was almost pinch yourself, am I really here? This is something that I've never experienced before. It was, you know, personal development mixed with, you know, a a massive concert, the energy, the drive, the experience of doing the firewalk. You know, I was at university, so what would have been, I'd have been 20 maybe and 21. And I was just blown away by the whole experience.
0: In, in doing your dissertation and being part of Tony Robbins' team, that probably gave a huge insight of how successful people react in business in some way.
1: It did. And it also showed me, looking around and listening to the stories around the room, how many business people were there, how many entrepreneurs or senior leaders were there, and the impact that this mindset was a A, that so many business owners were going there and therefore getting apparently getting a huge amount of value so it just reinforced for me the strength of the link and the importance of the link between mindset and personal development and business success and then to hear the stories of the insights that people were getting in different areas of their life but how it linked back to their either business or their profession and how it was going to help them or would help them to, to improve their performance that's powerful
0: and why did you choose business and entrepreneur as your university subject to
1: study? I was given a choice. I guess I chose to just accept one of two choices, one of two options. My dad suggested to me, um, I think you need a proper profession, you know, one that you will have a consistent career. So uh, how about law or accountancy? So I kind of accepted that that was the options. I, I didn't show any flair. I think it's not simple as that. I think my school teachers had said, I think, I mean, would be, you know, have a potential of being able to apply himself in those areas. I certainly didn't show any medical prowess or any engineering or architecture or any of these other vocations. I, I, I certainly didn't show any sort of hope in those areas, uh, nor sporting prowess. So I think I was always interested in business. We went to look at some universities around the law degree, I didn't have the confidence. I love speaking in front of people now, but I didn't have the confidence to stand up. We went to one of their mooting halls where they, where they simulate a court experience and the prospects of standing up and, you know, arguing a case of law at the age of 20. Sorry, no, age of 18, I beg your pardon, whilst choosing, deciding on university, that really intimidated me. And the flip side, I loved business. Uh, there have been many a conversation around the dinner table at home around business. So that's what took me down the accountancy path. And then I had this kind of like twin thing going on. So on the one hand, I had this career path down accountancy, but I had this growing passion and knowledge base around personal development, around mindset, around coaching, around NLP, and I've been looking for a way of aligning or bringing together those two different paths. And after qualification with KPMG, I moved to BAE Systems and after doing a couple of finance roles, I got an opportunity for a secondment to their in-house, their corporate university. So we were working on change projects, we were working on leadership development projects, and we introduced a high performance coaching capability to the top 650 directors around the world. And I was able to bring in as an external supplier, Michael Breen, who I did a lot of my NLP and business master practitioner training with all of it, with inter BAE systems. So him and a hand-picked team, uh, I helped to design the programs and I helped to go through the pilots and provide the feedback. So all of a sudden I was like a duck to water really, and I was in, in an environment in the the world of business applying the mindset the coaching tools the facilitation tools to improve the performance of senior leaders and that was that was the segue or the, the bridge I had been looking for because what I didn't want to do was to say park a career and a certain level of income by that stage as a chartered accountant and then start a brand new career from the ground up so that internal succumbent gave me that bridge
0: what was the common issue that you were noticing to create a high performance university and similar for
1: the, for the people? I think it was two common issues. One is people not stopping and challenging the inherent assumptions in the way that they were going about business and what I mean by that is people tend to do things in a particular way because they've done them that way for a period of time. That won't work, it's never been done that way, we've tried that before, that won't work. And that was certainly prevalent in a culture that was quite an old-fashioned culture within BAE systems at that time in particular that there was a big resistance to change and there was a, people hanging on to old ways of doing things and people then stopped challenging the assumptions that were holding them stuck we've done it this way that won't work well how do you know that won't work now So that was one thing. And the second thing related to that was, because people carried on doing what they've always done, they didn't stop and think and even entertain adequately enough about how things could be done differently.
0: Was it hard to create that NLP change in this business?
1: Yes depending on the populations and the pockets of populations. So you had some members of the sort of senior management team that were very open to it, that wanted to create a shift in culture, that really wanted to move away from, you know, if there's the the kind of the carrot and the stick or the top-down command and control type leadership style, which is how it had been. And then on the other hand, you've got this coaching, collaborative, encouraging leadership style. They did really want to move and a shift over. Now, what happened in that culture was really interesting the guys and girls on the shop floor had been managed with such a hard command and control you know big stick approach when the pendulum swung too far the other way about let's coach let's encourage let's collaborate instead of the push there was the pull or the or or the attempted pull to get people to come with you on your journey rather than force you performance actually dropped and the more sort of on board and the more uh, insightful members of the leadership teams were saying I don't want to go back to command and control. I know my gut is absolutely wrong. However, performance is dropping, output productivity is dropping. So we're going to have to bring the pendulum back a bit in terms of, yes, there's coaching, collaboration, encouragement, uh, nurturing, but we also, there's some clear performance or productivity targets that have to be hit and there are consequences for not hitting it. So creating organizational-wide cultural change was a challenge and is in many organizations a challenge. In business and sport and life, you hear
0: culture being thrown around. But what is the, the balance to have the, the perfect culture, either in
1: life or business? I think the biggest thing, really, is an in, is an insatiable curiosity and desire to want to improve. If you have, whether it be in sport or whether it be in business or life, the desire to incrementally make everything that little bit better, the desire to constantly be achieving your own kind of like personal best, to be pushing yourself forward and everybody in your team are always looking for those efficiencies, that insatiable curiosity and desire to improve I think is is at the core of all high-performing teams and in whatever endeavour. Where you get people that ease off or don't or, or that curiosity is dulled and they are not really that bothered about growth and improvement and doing things better, they want to carry if they, they kind of just want to plod on, then you can get complacency and then you can get boredom and then you get disengagement.
0: I think that applies to everyone in life. When boredom comes, it's like, why bother? You know.
1: Yeah, and and you know, Gallup do a survey around looking across the the world, but you know, the Western world, and look at the levels of engagement in in companies. And I think it was 2013 they did a study that found that there was something like 80. I can't remember the exact numbers, but 80 odd percent of the workforce were either actively disengaged or neither engaged or disengaged so they were sat on the fence they were ambivalent and then they re- did that uh, in 2017 and they found that across Europe and the UK only 10% of the workforce were actively engaged in the business and that's that's a shocking statistic and it's also a great opportunity to actually encourage to engage and to bring the best out of people and Most of my work now is working with SMEs, but I have, I do still do, and I have done a lot of work with larger corporates when I work with teams and with larger corporates, my aim is to find where the power button is and to turn that on. Is to, to sort of find that switch to re-engage people to switch them on to the possibilities or the impact that their work is having on the, the people that their product or the service serves out in the marketplace and what's the difference that you're making. So I'll give you an I'll give you an example. Uh, I used to work uh, as a client of client KP Snacks, and you know they did the hula hoops. Mm-hmm there were people that work on the production line and quality at some stages hadn't been where it needed to be and there was also the challenge around the supermarket customers whether it be an Asda Tesco Sainsbury's whoever and Aldi they could turn up at the front gate the security gate and then they would have to be shown onto the shop onto the production line within 20 minutes to be able to do their checks around standards around health and production methodologies and health and safety etc cleanliness and, and, and all the other factors and there were some people that hadn't always been taking that seriously and they're really in a production line environment their role could be quite monotonous and I just thought what can I do to bring in alive about what their product does and I've always loved hoops. maybe it was engendered in me because I would given boxes of them to take and I would bring home the hula hoops. And of course, the hula hoops wouldn't go straight in his mouth. They would go on each of his fingers just to see his face light up when all of his fingers and his thumbs were, like, covered, adorned with hula hoops and then gradually take one off at a time. That was as much of the experience as been eating the crisp, eating a snack. So I would relay this story. I said, do you think you're creating, you know, a circular crisp and that can be a bit boring? But this is the impact that it's having on a child when they are playing with and then eating the very thing that you work every day in this factory. To. And what I try to do is bring alive for people the difference their product or service is making no matter where they are in the hierarchy of an organization, the difference that their efforts are making on the end customer and then on the customer's customer. So not only was it my son getting delight from playing with the hula hoops and eating them, I of course was delighted to see his you know enjoyment of that
0: what does high performance look like for you gavin
1: i think it's it's where an individual and a team are constantly looking to get better so you don't necessarily have to be the best but you're constantly looking about what can you do to be better you're working on yourself in terms of your mindset but also you're working on mastery of whatever your practice is so whether you're an architect or whether you're a medic or whether you're a sporting professional or an entrepreneur, whether you're a buyer or a customer service person, it's, it's working on the area of your skill to wanting to get it better and to be determined to be the best you could possibly be. And I think that's what high performance is every day, wanting to get that bit better and holding yourself to a higher standard and being focused on what are the differences that you're going to make to the, the people that your work and your efforts impact.
0: When you go into a company and you you look for that engage button or that thruster button to get the company back to that full engagement, what are you looking for?
1: Emotion. I want to create emotion. So um, you may, and, and listeners here may have been aware of kind of uh, the change curve, it's sometimes called, uh, um, the work of Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross called it, did some work around emotional responses to bereavement, to grief. And we start off with, let's take the analogy, and, he, uh, and her work has been tracked across into the world of business and about change and loss within business. And it's just track, it just translate across. And You know, let's say, for example, you you had somebody that was still with the uh, grief. You got somebody that was ill for a a long period of time and been really suffering. So when they first pass for the remaining relatives, there can be some relief. So actually there's a little peak in emotion in terms of more positive emotion because it's relief. Then there's, you know, that kind of like tops out. Then there's denial that they've gone. Then there's anger. Why have you left me at this time? And then the emotions drop right down into despair It can be depression, it can be ambivalence. And people can get stuck at the bottom of that curve. And then there's acceptance, and it starts turns the corners, acceptance, and then up to hope. And you find that's in business, and what you often can find in business is teams who've been through one change after another, and they've got stuck in the bottom of that curve and negative emotions of um, ambivalence, just down, don't care, talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. You know, they, they, they just have switched off. And when somebody's ambivalent and switched off, can't do anything with that i need emotion so i will provoke i will want invoke a response so you know the the two fundamental tenets of all human behavior boils down to wanting to avoid pain or to gain pleasure i'd be helping paint a picture if you carry on like this way one of the consequences if you carry on but if you do change and you look this way one of the benefits so I did a piece of work for Ford over a few years back, looking at the performance in a number of the dealerships around England and in Northern Ireland, actually, and I remember very clearly a session in Belfast, and they'd had a sequence in a very short period of time. So initially, what happened is this was a dealership that had been family-owned with the Ford brand, the Ford franchise, but been family-owned for, oh, for generations. I think two generations it had been family owned, and it went bust, it went bust actually in 2012, I think it was, so it was after the worst of the global financial crisis. So initially the members of the, so Ford GB just stood in and, and, and took over um, took over the franchise. So initially the employees, was, there was relief. Oh my goodness, we're gonna be safe, we're gonna be okay. And then there was a denial. Well, they're over the water and there's no change. And then there's some sort of frustration and anger. What do you mean uh, it's the third new regional manager in nine months? What do you mean you've tried one new IT system, you're now trying the second new IT system within 12 months? And so by the time I went and worked with them, there were a lot of people in that bottom of the curve that were, amb- they were angry or ambivalent because they were now to something like the eighth regional manager. The second IT system uh, project hadn't been a success either. And they were well and truly fed up. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to invoke a response. So the first thing I said was, you're right to be angry. You don't want to make somebody wrong. In any one moment, a person's feelings, their behavior is absolutely right for them, given the journey that they've been through. So out of all genuineness, I said, you're right. You're right to feel angry. You're right to feel pissed off. I would do if I was in your situation. I feel just the same way. I said, but how are you helping anybody at the moment when you're wallowing around and throwing your own pity party? You know, what we you like when you go home to your family? And this was like November time, I think it was. And, you know, obviously, you know, the Christmas holidays was around the corner and I was saying, what are you like at home i bet you're not very nice to your children i bet you're not very nice to your partner i bet you're not very nice to the cat or the dog and they would say well no no no, i'm a i'm a grumpy so-and-so and so so i said well what's it going to be like if you carry on throwing your own pity party you know over the christmas break you know on christmas day a really special day what are you gonna be like to your kids when you're still throwing your own pity party about how dire things are at work i said you're serving nobody most important Importantly, you're being really cruel to those that are closest, and you should be, you know, putting the most energy and love into. So I said, I give you an, I give you a suggestion. Why don't we draw a line under the sand? I suggest you do it before Christmas. But let's draw a line under the sand. Pity party over on this date. Stop wallowing, you know. And by the way, I am pushing buttons here. You know, I'm being provocative. And there's a guy that sat at the side of the room, and there was some stacked some spare chairs, and he was stacked. And he was almost like climbing up with his stack of chairs, and he's he's fist his tense saying that I'm kind of looking for the fire exit i'm just saying you know pity party over decide here now if this if you want to be on the bus or not if this place isn't the right place for you i get it you would find somewhere a better home that would be so much better for you elsewhere but if it is the place where you want to be you do want to be on this bus draw that line and sand. step over that line on that date and just go okay i'm going to bring the whole of me to this place of work and do that everything i can won't be perfect but do everything i can to make things better here at work And at the end of the session, the guy that had been climbing, literally climbing the chairs at the side of the room came up to me and he looked me square in the eye and he said, what you said made me very angry. And I went, yep, I could see that. He said, "Um, it's the thing that I least wanted to hear, but most needed to hear, I'm on the bus. And so what I want to do is I want to incite a response that gets some passion from people, some energy, so I can point it in a direction that's helpful for everybody in the team. Or have the grown-up, sensible, adult conversation that says, if this is right for you, well, then what did you need to do to find somewhere else that is a better home for you to, to go and work? I think emotion is so powerful that it
0: gets people up to passionate. But when they're on the other side of the, the scale where it's negative, depression, not getting out of bed, then what's the point? But it's fascinating how emotion drives everything to be successful in some way.
1: It is, it's our emotions. We, we, we are emotional creatures. You know, mastery in business is so closely aligned to mastery of emotions. And I use emotional intelligence and an emotional intelligent tool as a diagnostic at the start of my work with clients, where they're working, you know, because I work with them on their business and on their strategy and their growth. But I also want to work with them as personally. I use that emotional intelligent quotient tool to be able to really identify areas of untapped potential. And we can, we can laser into that.
0: Are you able to untap that unpotential emotion to be excellent in some way?
1: first stage in solving any problem is awareness and so one of a number of tools I use but what this tool does is it points areas so it has four four different areas it looks at our our own level of awareness around our emotions the second one is our awareness of emotions in others and the third one is our ability to manage our emotions and the fourth is our ability to influence the emotions in others and it affects a number of different areas of life either it could be your productivity your confidence your ability to uh, persuade to influence to deal with conflict but it can zone in on particular areas where people you know a common area that people might find they're holding themselves back is they might not be very good at acknowledging and recognizing their skills and their strengths By not doing so, they're not playing to those strengths and then they're also not giving themselves credit for when things go well. And hand in hand with that, that obviously they're often giving themselves a very hard time when things aren't going well. And so I help them to be able to start to see the good that they're doing, the progress that they're making and invalidate some of the hard time that they're giving themselves that's actually undermining their innate confidence and desire to really push forward. That beating themselves up is basically holding them back from playing a bigger game.
0: It's interesting how we have the potential to grow, but yet we have the potential to hold, our, hold ourselves back at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's like for most people, they simultaneously have one foot on the accelerator and the one foot on the brake. Or an or analogy for me with the sailing, at times it's felt in my life that I've the boat's been by the side of the, the quayside, by the side of the dock, and the sails are up and the wind's in the sails, but the boat's still tied to the dock what are the things that we need to do either to release the break off on the on, on the driving analogy or, or to cut those ties on the sailing analogy so that we can actually move forward, we can accelerate forward. And, and a lot of that is actually mindset. When I've worked with businesses and I uh, recently run a program, I used to run a program called Double Your Business. And the promise of that program was how to work with me for a year and we will double the revenue in your business. And the thing that we worked on that was the difference that made the biggest difference was mindset. And now in my book that's coming out on the 30th of July called survive and thrive. The model around thrive is my six stage model called the strategy compass. Mindset's the key and back to that stuff we were talking about earlier on around the mindset being the uh, energizer to some of the stuff that's a little bit more dull, like cash or scaling your business. I combine that in the strategy compass model to help a business to thrive, to help it to scale, because you need to have a clear purpose. You need to have clarity. You need to have a really strong mindset. You need to have a clarity of where you're going and your outcomes. You need to know what you need to build this capability and capacity of your business. And then you need to have action and accountability. So, and then, sorry, and the one I did miss out, how could I hear, <laughs> is the strategy. You need to know how. So there's all, all those six steps I found are absolutely critical to scaling and growing a business, but also doing it in a way that you're making money and you're doing it in a sustainable way. Mindset is something that
0: people think is hairy fairy, woohoo, all that, but actually it's, it's the power that makes us the genius that we are in some way.
1: Yeah, I've been very careful in the ways that I've introduced that. So that very program i talked about where and all the work i do with 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 clients is use a strategy compass and um step two is mindset i don't lead on mindset i lead on these are the results of your business and my start like for example when i'm speaking to rooms full of business owners i have done two-year national speaking tour with hsbc and they around the uk and they would fill the room with with their customers and prospective customers so i wouldn't lead on mindset But once I built rapport, once I built trust, once I've demonstrated kind of more business related strategies, then I will add the mindset stuff in. And I usually ask for permission at first time with the group by saying, would any of you be interested about some strategies that can help you from a mindset point of view to improve your performance? I found that my reticence or nervousness thinking that mindset stuff would not be well received is unfounded that once rapport is built once business creds or credibility is established then the mindset stuff is really well received and i I make sure i do it in a really down-to-worth practical way so i'm i don't try to be all soft and cuddly about it i link it back to business results and business performance and uh, try and keep it really down-to-worth and pragmatic
0: the language of the individual is how they interact and digest in some way
1: the language of the individual is massively important and I am careful to choose language that is relatable that will take people on a journey I don't start straight away by saying "Right, let's close our eyes and have a guided meditation because (laughs) everybody would just stand up and walk out I take people on a journey but I just feed the stuff in you know drip feed the stuff in over time so they become comfortable with it and of course you're always going to have some people that are more receptive than others but I've seen enough times of the difference about you know when people start to get clear on the goal they start to visualize they start to shift their physiology they shift their internal focus and dialogue then they start to get some very different results and the other area that I work on is the kind of our identity about who's the kind of person they see themselves as so if they see themselves as a struggling small business owner or a successful CEO you can have a very different reality and I've taken many people that have been seeing themselves as struggling small business owner and only getting those results to shifting their thinking to being a very successful entrepreneur or CEO and as they shift their identity they start to take different actions and then they get different results and they can get remarkably different results in their business over time.
0: They all want performance, and I think meditation, visualization, they're tools to get the individual in the mindset that they can achieve that power and genius that they have in them.
1: Totally, and that is you know one of the one of the roots of meditation, in particular, of calming the mind and actually tapping into that innate intelligence and innate power and, and knowing that we have.
0: With someone that had problems with confidence and now you're giving presentations to thousands upon thousands of people, where did you find that confidence again?
1: Well, it was the mindset stuff. And then it was actually getting some really good training in the NLP space and being able to practice and practice, getting in front of people, overcome some of the nerves, learn some tools and techniques that were incredibly powerful to engage an audience and becoming good at those and then I just had a flair for it. So I went from being petrified of standing up in front of an audience to totally loving it and feeling really alive and loving, you know, like, like you've asked, you do ask some really insightful and really probing questions, which I love. But I love being put on the spot asking a question never been asked before. And that's to say when I'm in front of an audience.
0: What is the thrill that you get from being on stage, giving presentations to millions of people on in business?
1: yeah not quite millions yet but um the the, uh, the thrill is to see the light bulb coming on to, know, to see the difference that you've made in somebody's life and their business and their, their home life and ultimately back to what i was talking to you about earlier on was that i saw so much instability so much in in business owners cash and profitability i saw put so much i saw so much sacrifice sweat blood and tears being put into their business at the sacrifice of time you know at home with their family and with their with their other hearts and their children and and so much stress and and I want to be able to help people to achieve that and I think one of a number of really good success stories but one that always hits me is when a client came to me a number of years ago and said my business is struggling I've got a level of personal debt I'm not paying myself enough things are tense at home as a result of it uh, with his long term girlfriend and by the way this is not a a rare you know this is a common story and um, i really want to propose to my girlfriend but i don't want to do that until i've sorted out my finances paid off my personal debt and so we sorted the business out we grew his business we got from moved from retail into manufacturing we grew that side of the business we paid off or he paid off his he was able to pay off his personal debt we addressed the cash flow challenges as he was growing and scaling his business and the hr and the leadership challenges and um, not only is he now engaged but a few months ago they had their first child together and you know i am delivered delighted for him that he's had and continues to have such good success in his business and of course with each new level there's new challenges and we're still addressing those and as he's looking to expand and grow his brand into the US but he's a proud dad and you know there was some influence I had in helping him sort out his finances so he felt ready to move on to the next stage of his you know his personal life which is incredibly fulfilling.
0: Why do you think we need to sacrifice something to achieve our goal?
1: Wow, you're lining up these questions, Aaron. <laughs> so some people will see it as a sacrifice; others would see it as choice. If you want to get good at anything, mastery it, whether it's music, at sport, a business skill, it needs time. You know, is it Malcolm Gladwell and his um, ten thousand times rule you need practice to get good to refine to improve so it's a choice of oh, all we're going to spend our time sat in front of box sets on netflix or are we going to dedicate time and energy to becoming the very best we can be in our chosen endeavor now, sometimes it can be sacri- feel like sacrifice if things aren't going as well in the business, you haven't got the support network around you or the funding available to have a team to enable or the, fund- the spare cash in order for you to be able to have that two-week holiday or, you know, with your family, for example, or it may require you to work weekends. And I think you'll always have times in your business where you've got periods of intensity where your balance shifts more towards business. But you also need to make a priority and demand of yourself times when it's really important as a family unit to have time out and to and to really put the energy and the passion and the fun into into life at home with your family. So I think that's a constant tension and a balance and a a negotiation that many business owners will have with themselves i think where i've gone wrong in the past and where i think some of the clients i work with have gone wrong in the past is they've just made the assumption that they have to work all the hours and not necessarily ask themselves the question how is it that we can go on x number of holidays a year and still be able to perform you know and spend that quality time with my family and still be able to perform at the right level within the business
0: with COVID now, we're all spending time at home and families and now the sacrifice is not there, but you probably would have to sacrifice something else to achieve success in some way.
1: Yeah, it's been a really interesting journey for me. So most of my career, you know, 25 years, I've been working away on client premises for two or three days a week. I'd never been at home seven days a week, multiple weeks at a time, and if you think about when you go on holiday for a fortnight or whatever with your family, you can often have times to go for a, a walk <laughs> for some space. <laughs> we started off lockdown and, and the six-year-old and a two-year-old have kind of clicked up to seven and three. but. So that was tough. That was tough without, without the support networks, without childcare, with school and, and nursery or whatever, and still being able to try to do business and still trying to work out your way through it. And, and so in the first few weeks of lockdown with the noise levels and everything and the demands of the children, I found it incredibly difficult. And, and because I, saw, I wasn't used to it either. I, I've normalized to it. I've got used to it. I've spent more time with my children. I've spent more time with my wife and still have achieved some good stuff within the business. So, you know, including getting the book finished off and the audio book recorded and getting ready for the launch, as well as some interesting client projects. So where I used to spend up to even 11, 12 hours a week in traveling, that's time to, to work on other stuff that's been time with the children and time on fitness, for example.
0: It's fascinating how our minds and body can adapt to whatever circumstance. At the beginning it's tough, it's whatever, but over a period of time it eases and becomes easy in anything we do,
1: that we do in some way. Literally only last night over dinner I was saying to my wife, I don't think i will ever travel as much again and when i do well i'll miss you all more and she she looked at me rather sort of incredulously and went what really (laughs) you hated being around us at the start of lockdown And, and i'm not afraid to say i really struggled with it now i've got to a point of yes not only have i adapted but i've enjoyed a bit more of that connection sorry that's an understatement i've loved more of that connection and it's just just helps you to reevaluate. i got really frustrated about productivity in the early stages and i've been constantly interrupted but again we found our own tempo our own rhythm and i might i'll do some more work earlier in the morning or later at night or might spend a couple of hours or or more over a weekend but you know we've found some more of that flexibility the working hours might not be you know in a normal working day now but there's probably as much if not more hours put in but they're just at different times over the course of a week Mm -hmm.
0: With the background of NLP, how long did it take for the, the mind and body to adapt to a new
1: circumstance? There are different people that say that, you know, slightly different from adapters to create a new habit, that it can take 21 days, it can take 30 days for a new habit. Some are saying it takes longer to practice that. I think the first stage with this really is to be able to almost like fly, to be a fly on the wall observing your own behavior and we're observing your own interaction so you can be aware of what the impact is. So somebody else, a partner, your, your spouse may be able to say you know, you're behaving in this way or you're behaving in that way but I think it, something often needs to happen to shock us to a level of awakening to be able to recognize that actually maybe I need to look in the mirror. So I think I resisted and pushed back against the noise and interruptions and the influence of a six-year-old and a two-year-old wanting to do different things all the time often disagreeing and falling out when to rip each other's heads off and me trying to get work done and i found it really hard but it got to a point that fortunately i look back on this now but fortunately my wife's got a holiday cottage which of course was closed and it's 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 five minutes away and i just said i need some space for two days i just need to get away and i need some space and at first it was great boys movie set my own no no interruption i'll put you know a action movie on brilliant so first night was great a couple of glasses of wine and a boys movie happy but by the second night, and particularly the morning after, it was quiet and it was like, where are the boys? And it was like, okay, so now it's time that I've had a break, I've had some chance to calm down and to think, who am I showing up as in that family unit? And how do I need to behave? And I think that's where the coach, the NLP, the ability and the willingness to look in the mirror and look at my own behavior and recognize that, of course it was challenging, but I was probably not helping the situation, to put it kindly, and at times I was probably been a bit of an arse. So I show sure came back and showed up differently. But I just needed that distance and that perspective. And I was able to do that for myself and, and often with clients and working with them in their business. I'm able to offer that external mirror hold that mirror up and offer that external perspective about where in their lives or in specifically in their business they can improve.
0: Gavin, do you have a mentor?
1: Yeah, and I found that uh, what's been working for me recently is to dip in and have mentors in specific areas of where I feel I want the development. So I've got a mentor that's been helping me very much in me engaging better through the medium of the camera, being able to help me to create, copy, and sell and make offers online, so that I develop more or switch more of my business to be done more face to face. So I found that to be, and I am finding that incredibly insightful and beneficial. As you know, this now you know is a new norm, spending a lot of time on Zoom and learning how to to communicate and. To will impact and engage through the medium of a little lens I am becoming increasingly more comfortable but there's an art, there's a craft and there's a science to do it even better we all look for growth.
0: When do you feel like you reach reached that stage of, I've grown to the level that I need to grow and I move on to something different?
1: I think those of us that have a growth mindset never get to that stage. There's always another level that we want to go to. There's always something more that we want to reach for. I think there is times in your journey where you want, I just want to take the foot off the gas for a bit and just recuperate, to relax, to uh, etc. But there's also times when I want to push. So... And choosing in which areas of my life I really want to push harder or grow or grow more. in. so I'm a lifelong learner. I, I never feel like I want to stop growing. I don't stop listening to audio programs, to podcasts, to to, to reading, to books, to watching motivational sort of content. So I'm always wanting to improve and grow.
0: As an L P coach, and now we're like you said, we're going through Zooms and we're on online. Is there a negative effect regarding the the brain component? <laughs>
1: we love connection as human beings we're tribal creatures and we want to feel a part of something and a video call a zoom call you've got the visual you've got the auditory but it can feel back to my early point about learning the art the craft to almost like be able to reach through the lens and move people and that's what i've been working on and and, uh, relatively early and i think in my journey of mastering that you've got to work harder with your energy to reach through that lens and touch someone to to move them to invoke them to do make a change or to have an influence on them so that somebody doesn't just passively listen or watch they're properly engaged with what you're saying and i think at this stage of evolution of us learning these uh, software and learning to reach out it's harder to create that connection than if you were a face-to-face in a room but over time we'll get greater proficiency at it.
0: As humans, we need a hug or a handshake because we need an interaction, connection. But when you're doing it virtually, there's no point. You can't, you can't physically hug them or shake their hands you know
1: no but that's such a good point and even with the social distancing now when you're not supposed to have hug or a hand you know where the power the benefit the rejuvenative capacity that a hug can have on another human being is phenomenal we just need to find new ways of conveying that energy and that enjoyment and that warmth and, and emotion to people via zoom and meetings and skype and wherever else
0: yeah, I was reading a story a few weeks ago. A lady who was ninety-eight and she's seen the world and everything, but she was looking to take her life because she she couldn't get a hug. And you know, that's the
1: power of how infant and a hug can grace. Oh yeah, it's so powerful. And it's so so sad with that, and for, and for particularly very elderly people that are more vulnerable and the shielding and more isolated it's very lonely at that age anyway, and it must be so, so hard for, for individuals. And I think one of the after effects that's only will show up over time is the deep mental health challenge that has been created or problems that have been created because of isolation, because of lockdown, because of distancing. And um, we've seen it in seven-year-olds, you see it. I was talking to a friend and, and fellow sort of coach with his teenage son, it's happening more and more and it, it's really sad and I think we need to do more to, to get better at creating a sense of community collaboration and um, hopefully look forward to the days when physical hubs can happen again. Is there a way to fill those cracks at the moment? I think it's making the effort to reach out and talk to people, whether they're colleagues or friends or family members, and you know having a good virtual get-together over Zoom or whatever, um, just whether it's using Zoom, FaceTime, whatever. The technology is there, and it's only ever going to accelerate now in its capability. And I just think we need to get... We, we just need to reach out and say, hello, how are you? How are things? And I think a well-placed question or call or video call can have a big positive impact
0: tell us about the book how did that come about
1: right so i because of the book survive and thrive how to secure scale and succeed in business it is a distillation of 25 years of work of working with businesses and I was driven by this kind of the story the scenario where i didn't grow up with financial stability i then also saw other business owners struggling the same way that my dad did to bringing in consistent income over time I just felt really moved to to do that, to to help business owners address that. But more than that, I wanted them to scale and grow their business so that they could exit their business for a, a, an acceptable sum of money, so they could go on and enjoy retirement, etc. You know, there was, my dad was a great salesman. He was a hustler, he was an entrepreneur. But at nearly 80 now, he hasn't quite sold his business. Well, he hasn't sold his business, so he's not fully engaged in it. But he's semi-retired from it, and i've just seen how hard it's been i've seen the sacrifices i've seen what he's missed out on i've seen that in other business owners and i felt really compelled to take the knowledge that i'd got from all the time i'd done around accountancy and kpmg the consultancy work i'd done and big corporates the mindset work that i'd done and the work i'd gone on to do around marketing and strategy and growing and scaling businesses and bring it together in a tried and tested and proven system to help you scale and grow your business but do it in a way that you address the underlying less sexy stuff that's absolutely critical for growth but also fire you up so we could increase this kind of world of the vista of the art of the possible about what you could really really create so I wrote it for my dad and I wrote it for me because I wanted to distill in one place a manual that I could do to help me through the ups and downs and particularly some of the downs of, of the business and the life journey, but also be able to create a sustainable result of growth in businesses of not only my dad and myself, but also other people that I work with. So it's got two components, there's two parts to the book. Survive. If you are in survival mode right now, that's very much focused about what do we need to do to keep your business, to keep your boat afloat, your business afloat. So one of the we need to do right now around cash around cash management you know when you're in survival mode cash is everything so how you make sure you've got adequate cash flow what you need to do then to reduce your cost base to make it a more flexible and agile cost base and what you can do to grow revenues and therefore profit and then once we've stabilized that platform for growth or we've kept your boat afloat if you want to go on a journey or a voyage of growth you go to part two which is like for many business owners they're frustrated that their performance has been plateauing for some time so what part two is is based around the six steps to so the strategy compass, purpose, mindset, outcome, strategies, the how, and then capability and capacity and action and accountability. So you can get, or you do get other books on mindset or other books on strategy or other books on scaling. I want you to create one proven system and one place where they bring all of the components together to help somebody to be able to build a strong, sustainable, viable business that ultimately, a profitable business that ultimately, if they want to, they can either sell it or they can put a management team in and they can sit back while they're, you know, and enjoy some semi-retirement while the management team runs their business.
0: Gavin, if there was one piece of advice that someone met you on the street and asked you, Gavin, you know, I'm struggling in business or in life, what would be one piece of
1: advice you can give me? What would it be? It would be work on your identity, because I've seen it make the biggest shift. So if, you, if you're if you telling yourself the story, if you see yourself as as someone who is struggling in business, if you see yourself as one of life's victims then you're going to keep perpetuating that if you change the story instead of being the victim become the victor of your own sort of holiday movie sort of hero comeback story you know you to write your comeback story is to write it out you know i am the kind of person and you write the identity of the person you want to be so if this language works for you but it might be different you know i'm a successful entrepreneur or the or successful ceo of uh, of my business we export globally we have a constant stream of fans who are in a, an order book willing to buy our products at a high. Margin, whatever's the truth for you. You know, I run a really efficient, lean business that has high volume output. You know, you're writing a, a scenario and a description of a future version of yourself and your business. And constantly, as in, constantly, I mean, you know, once, twice every day, read that to yourself. And ideally, after you've read it to yourself, close your eyes and visualize it and imagine it and feel it. Because the brain doesn't know the difference between what you vividly imagine and reality. And the more we program our brain in the direction we want to go, the more we're going to find ourselves taking the actions in order to be able to achieve that.
0: Gavin, if people want to
1: come and find you, where can they find you? If you want to find out more about me and and about the book, Survive and Thrive, go to www.surviveandthrive.cc. That's www.surviveandthrive.cc.
0: And you have a podcast what do you talk about in your podcast?
1: Yeah, the podcast Business Mastermind podcast and I interview talk with business owners. I do sort of two shows a week. I have an interview format where I'm getting business owners or advisors to businesses who've got a particular niche area of expertise and to bring them onto the show. And it's all about what can you do to help a business to grow and to scale and a combination of strategies and mindset and success stories, which is amazing to hear people's journeys. And then secondly, I do a, a shorter show where I'm sharing a strategy and idea and something that key messages from a book that can really help the listener, the show, to grow and scale their business and, and, and be more successful. So it's the Business Mastermind Podcast.
0: Gavin, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and sharing. Likewise. Your it's been amazing.
1: Thank you, Aaron. And uh, wow, your questions are phenomenal. They are quite simply the best and most probing insightful questions that I've ever had on a podcast interview. So I really thank you for for being so thoughtful and so insightful with your questions.
0: I'm so